episode 128, Rose Plays Julie, featuring Christine Malloy and Joe Lawler. In the first episode of season 14, Neil and Dario catch up on their summer shenanigans and talk to the makers of this year's brilliant release, Rose Plays Julie, Christine and Joe, filmmakers behind Mr. John, Further Beyond and Helen. Please note that this discussion contains lots of what you might term spoilers as Neil and Dario get really into the story and the politics and the machinations of this really brilliant piece of work. So for this episode, it might be best to watch the film first and then come back. Also a quick note, because we're a little bit rusty after a summer off, there's a little bit of a buzz on the first part of my audio, which I couldn't get rid of, so apologies for that. Anyway, we're back, and we're raring to go. So, on with the show. to season 14 of the Cinematologist podcast. It's great to be back with you and it's also great to have back my partner in crime on our illustrious podcast and that is Neil Fox. Neil, great to see you. Hello, great to see you. Great to be back. Hello everyone. Yep, it feels good to be back in the podcast chair, ready for another season. So, How are you doing? I'm good, I'm good. Yeah, it's, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because it's like when it gets to July, we're like, yeah, let's have a let's have a break from podcasting and everything that goes along with that. You know, don't get me wrong, we love it, but then, you know, you do like that that space to where you don't have to think about it. And then by the time sort of mid September, I'm like chomping at the bit to get some stuff out there again. And uh, yeah, just putting together my, you know, not to not to um, advertise another podcast on this one, but my, I've just put the edits together for. Um, the podcast studies podcast which is the other one I do and got that out and that's going out today so uh, yeah it's great it's great to be back but really excited about the coming season yeah me too it feels good yeah I feel feel the same yeah kind of have that have that nice break and then kind of get itching to to talk to people again and talk to you again and kind of and chat movies again so yeah I'm excited to 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 get into the season yeah we've got some nice some nice episodes coming up and very exciting times how was your summer you had a a very nice um, Russell Crowe-esque uh, jaunt to uh, South France for a few weeks. <laughs> my summer was better than that film, that's Oof. for sure. You know, it could have been hard, is my it? Summer, hard, it, would have been, it would have been better than that film. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, just down to the south of France, and you know, we took the decision that we were just going to we were going to book it, and we were going to take the hit on the test. The tests. Honestly, all in was probably about a thousand pounds. I would have thought all, wow. you know, going there, coming yeah. back. Um, but we did three weeks there, and I don't know why I've not done this in, in in the past. But we're definitely gonna go away for a longer period of time, and then and then because you know now remote working is not this sort of uh, taboo, you know the. That, that thing about academics in the summer where they, you know, when it comes to June, they just disappear and you don't see them until, you know, 15th of January um, and they don't do any work. It's, it's like, 
that's always been bullshit. You know, it, it's true for some academics, but it's been bullshit for us, I think, with the amount yeah. of work that we do. Um, but but being able to go on holiday for a couple of weeks, but then stay in the same place and just do work from the same place is just was just lovely. And looking at the weather over in England and yeah, we were like, what a decision that was. And we stayed in a beautiful place in uh, in Provence, um, Ile-sur-la-Sorgue. If uh, anybody wants to go there, I highly recommend it. But yeah, it was it was lovely. And uh, Very nice. yeah, and you had a completely different type of summer. I did. Uh, yes, we welcomed baby Miles to the family uh, late July. And uh, yeah, he came sort of a few days after I'd started my annual leave. So I had a really nice six weeks uh, and then a week of paternity leave with um, with him. And he's actually here with us now. So he's on me as we as we record. He's currently sleeping. Um, so podcast experience already. Yeah, getting getting well indoctrinated nice and early. But yeah, we had a we had a lovely break. Uh, we saw some family in North Wales, and some family came here, and some friends came here, and it was just been, yeah, like you say, that kind of block of time of just, yeah, just really recharging, um, and getting ready for the for the new year. Uh, and I'm in a slightly different role now, so I don't have any module leadership or sort of you know kind of big student and staff admin to do and it's just a game changer just being around the campus in the last week or so and everyone's just it's just chaos um but i'm kind of nicely outside of that which i feel a bit bad about for my friends but i'm really grateful for that that that's that's gone (laughs) um and i can just sort of focus on teaching and uh and research yeah similar position to me i've stepped down as course leader on film at brighton after four or so years and yeah it, it does feel like oh Thank, thank God for that this time round. I mean, yeah. you know, Holly's my colleague. Holly Chad has taken over, and you know, she's she's um, in a position, I think, in her career where it's right for her to take that that role. But I, I'm just really looking forward to uh, to teaching again. And really, it's it's interesting because I'm teaching a, I'm developing a level four, which is a first year module, just introduction to film theory. So it's almost kind of like back to basics for me, which is uh, interesting. And trying to trying to teach that now to this generation of students I'm having to sort of think about the way to sort of introduce some of the some of the the, the classical or the can, canonical stuff while also undercutting it while also saying that it's you know today's films are influenced in these ways so it's it's quite a and then doing that online and offline and you know we've got all of that to come so it's yeah it's um going to be another interesting semester I think um but yeah we, we shall see. We shall see what higher education lo- uh, looks like going forward. I remember last year we did that 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 panel, and I think it's it's funny listening back to that. <laughs> I don't think it quite turned out how we, how the four of us uh, thought when we were talking about on that panel. There was a lot of positivity there that that it, it turned into firefighting a lot of the way. Yes, I think it was. We were yeah. I think even at the time we didn't feel like we were necessarily being that optimistic trying to be quite kind of Mm. realistic about it but yeah in hindsight even that was was way more way more positive than than some of the experiences turned out to be which was just a really hard slog uh for staff and students you know i think it was just it was a hard hard year so hopefully um this year will be will be different um and it was weird being in front of 125 students the other day in a lecture theater i introduced paris texas yesterday as the kind of freshest screening, which was lovely, you know, just talking oh, wow. about that film for, for sort of 15 minutes. But yeah, just sort of seeing people in the room in masks, it was just, it was, you know, 
uncanny you know like i know this but it yeah, feels yeah, yeah. very different yeah so we shall see yeah it's interesting how the different the different ways that universities have, have sort of looked at that whereas our university is not doing any big rooms at all you know all of the lectures are going to be remote and or pre-recorded mm. and then the seminars we're going to be in rooms for the face-to-face but with smaller groups you know yeah that's quite similar of us but you know our our course manager because the amount of students we've got and because we've got a cinema just sat there uh, and because cinemas are open yeah you know just made the case that these films need to be seen you know the leadership is unsure of what to do should we say they just you know they've just kind of gone with what courses want and feel safe and as long as they do the risk assessment. so yeah it was nice and hopefully Hopefully we can keep that up, but yeah, I mean it's it's pretty terrifying, particularly down in Cornwall. Mm. You know the amount of cases down here because of the summer is, yeah. and now the students arriving is a lot. Yeah. How did they rate Paris, Texas? Do you think? Oh, it went down really well. Yeah, I found out this morning because I did, I couldn't stay for the end. Um, and yeah, uh, my my colleague Laura, who runs the film course, uh, Laura Canning, who was on been on the podcast before, and um, yeah, she said she went in at the end, and yeah, there was sort of about thirty of them staying afterwards, talking about it. Um, a few tears it's kind of overwhelmed by the experience of it um, so yeah it went down really really well apparently I mean fantastic yeah. so and it's, it's such a good movie that's always nice it, it gives you a sort of uh, you know it reinvigorates your sort of love for the whole idea of film education doesn't it when you do get a sort of group like exactly it. yeah you know because you you still like you say you still want to preserve that experience and also those films for for the audience and you want them to try and get something from it that you've got from it rather than just having to show what you think that they want to see you know but they they came to it and it's a hard film to come towards if you haven't seen it so it's really rewarding to have that have yeah. that kind of feedback yeah and it does kick the year off nice you know like okay there's a core here who are interested in cinema which kind of gives you a bit of energy for for, yeah. for what's ahead and you never know we may have an old school uh, cinematologist taping down uh, at base camp <laughs> Hopefully this year Absolutely. we're trying to sort that out. Um, yeah. So um, before we get into the uh, the interview for today's episode, uh, anything that you've you've seen recently you want to have a quick word about? Well, we're going to be talking about the the Belmondo um, of it all, aren't we? In the bonus, which would be so for those patch, for our Patreon subscribers, we're going to talk a little bit about Jean Paul Belmondo. Yeah, and keeping it French themed. Uh, I've been loving movies um, Agnes Varda series particularly the shorts yeah and then i watched along the coast which is a kind of tourist promotional film for the south of france for the sort of the riviera um your neck of yep. the woods <laughs> and uh <laughs> yeah it's like a 30 minute kind of yeah just one of her really wonderful whimsical documentaries about place um, and and people and it's mainly sort of about tourists and you know sort of people visiting the the Riviera on holiday, um, and it just does that wonderful thing of being light and breezy, but also has this you know really kind of bang on understanding of economy politics um, and and things like that. It's just it's really wonderful. But what struck me most was you know the it felt like the film that Wes Anderson built his entire career from. You know, like the the score yeah. and the colours oh, right. and okay. the yeah, yeah, yeah. the compositions and the you know just it, I mean he you know he's obviously a kind of a, a francophile anyway, but there was something about that kind of construction of yeah really kind of made it just otherworldly kind of mm-hmm. uh, presentation of these 
of these places and these these things. It just it really struck me as as a as a film that I think if he hasn't seen it, it's kind of it's it, someone sort of injected it into him um, while he was asleep because it's it's it felt very Wes Anderson um, in a lovely way and kind of got me excited for the French French Dispatch, which I am really excited to see um, as I come back around towards Wes Anderson after years of having to listen to students. Talk about how great he is, and sort of falling out of love with him. I'm sort of, I feel like I could be back on, back on that. But that was, that was great. And I just think that collection of shorts that Mubi are doing is, including the Black Plant, the Black Panther short, and um, uh, the Saluda Cuban, yeah. which I've seen before. Just, yeah, such a great, such a great filmmaker. Like she was just extraordinary. I think. What about you? Yeah, and uh, yeah, it, it, it's funny that, that I think you've mentioned this before. That sort of latterly presentation of uh, kind of in a popular cultural sense of, as this avuncular aunt of of female filmmaking is not quite right when you think about you know her career and you know in its entirety so yeah it's always it's great to to look back at that mm. stuff for sure um yeah i mean obviously we've talked a lot of, in the last couple of years about how you watch during lockdown and and i think you know, it's always interesting to me at different phases in your year or in my year particularly that i seem to have i, I seem to dip into different types of filmmaking that, that fit in with the pattern of what I'm doing. So at the moment, there's a lot of teaching prep and a lot of work going on. So then it, it comes to the nine o'clock at night, maybe sometimes, and I'm like, oh, I, I want to catch something that I know I can get straight into. I know what it's going to be. And there we go. So, and obviously with, with what's been going on this week, the anniversary of, of 9-11, I, w- I watched the first episode of 9-11 War on Terror, which is... Um, Really, really good, and but the first thing I noticed about it is the form, and it is so mapped onto structurally. It looks exactly like. I mean, it's completely different subject matter, obviously, but it's it's made exactly the same way as as the Last Dance, the Michael Jordan documentary. It's so clear how there's this identikit kind of structural formation in terms of the way that things are presented, and then and I really enjoyed it. I mean, enjoyed it. It was you know fascinating stuff to 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 watch again and it's it's placing it a lot more in context in terms not just the day but how did this affect kind of like american politics and geopolitics going forward so you know i'll always watch stuff like that but then just last night i watched schumacher which is an identikit documentary for for senna it's literally kind of somebody sat down and thought i mean almost from the kind of editing timings and the the way that the the talking heads come in and the voiceover is used and the same journalists are saying the same similar things, you know, and it's and it's really interesting because it almost could be a double bill because the first third basically overlaps with the last third of Senna's career, so it, there's almost this sort of crossover point where Senna and Schumacher Senna, um, Schumacher was sort of the young pretender to Senna, whereas at the beginning of Senna, you know, he was the young pretender, so it's. It's just, but it's just so obviously identikit in that in that sense of stream, and it made it made me think about sort of streaming documentaries, and there's there's clearly a a move afoot in the executive kind of branch of of Netflix, and and you know, I think probably just sort of thinking about documentaries more broadly in these companies for commercial reasons, it's like, oh, this works. Who else can we do? in this style and it's just i mean it's probably you probably see that in music documentaries as well in in many ways um so watch that sorry go ahead yeah you want to come in there 
Yeah, no, I was going to say, look, well, yeah, last night for the book, I rewatched uh, Supersonic, the Oasis documentary, which is the same um, format as Amy, which is the same format as Senna, you know, and it's interesting mm. that, that um, and they never seem to worry about, you know, originality of form, you know, so you, you're kind of making these no. statements about these people or these bands, which are unique and individual, but it's like, well, formally, it's exactly the same as the thing you did that worked really well for your Oscar or whatever, you know, so I, I find that really interesting. And I think often that documentaries are almost, you know, assumed to be more innovative and more singular than narrative film where, you know, it's very common to say, well, once you've got one get out, everyone wants to do a get out and everyone's, you know, following that pattern. Whereas it, it happens just the same in yeah. documentary. I think you're right. It's like, well, this works. Let's, let's make it like this, which I think is, it's really interesting to, and when you, when you start watching and seeing those, those links and I always find it a little mm. bit particularly when it's about sort of singular artists or individuals and like you know include sports people as in that kind of artist bracket it's like you know I, that's one of my yeah. big bugbears is like you know you're doing Schumacher a disservice if you're saying he's this great but you're yeah. formally just doing the same thing that you've already done or someone else has already done yeah yeah and it's yeah and it, it was definitely made with the consent of his wife and family um, and because of that, it's it's definitely a lot less incisive than Senna in terms mm. of problematizing the character, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's very much saying, you know, we, everybody remembers him as this kind of slightly arrogant figure in it, and and you know, no compromises and ruthless. And yeah, there, there's all of that in there, but it kind of mitigates all of that and and tries to present a very positive sort of aspect of why he was like that, um, oh, and, and and lacks, I think, some of the depth that that Senna gets. Um, and then, yeah, yeah. just very quickly, I, I rewatched Twenty Fifth Hour after listening to Jason Bailey's uh, Fun City Cinema season two, episode one, um, which is obviously mm. he and many other people consider the kind of quintessential nine eleven movie in terms of it being the canvas upon which a story and a mood and a mm. sense of uh, melancholy and loss is, you know, kind of painted onto in a way. And it, it just reminded me how much Spike Lee. You know, a filmmaker who, when he first came along, was seen as a sort of, you know, absolutely uh, innovative and uh, um, not rejecting of, but but kind of a kind of, a, you know, a, a sort of transformation of what American cinema could be, perhaps. Um, but it's just amazing how much he's, he is influenced by classical aesthetic form and that, that broad, broad strokes deep, you know, big sweep filmmaking using the, the, the camera and, and sound as well to create the cinematic grandeur. And almost at the ending of, there's almost a sort yeah. of Shawshank redemption ending at the, you know, at the end of 25th hour, even though it's a, it's kind of an imagined sequence or it's ambivalent, whether it's imagined or not, I think a little bit. Um, but yeah, just yeah, a really, really great, great watch it. You can sit down two, two hours and 10 minutes long and it just goes like that, you know, um, absolutely superb. Um, so yeah, that's what, what I've been watching. Great. Love that movie. Wonderful. So yeah, let's, let's get into the, the, the main focus of today's episode, which is an episode which is based on an interview that you've put together with the filmmakers, Joe Lawler and Christine Malloy, um, and their new release, which is coming out today or tomorrow, or it's in the vicinity, depending on when you're listening, obviously. And that's, uh, Rose plays Julie. Now I, I saw this two years ago at the LFF. And amazing to me that it's coming out now and really great that it's getting kind of publicity. It seems to be sort of, you know, being talked about on in the press and everything like that. But I know you're big fans of these filmmakers, Neil. And 
yeah, I mean, what is it really about about these two filmmakers that you that you you know wanted to get them on the show and talk to them? Uh, yeah, a number of reasons really. One is that you know I, I I spent some time with Christine when she came down for a masterclass um, around the time of Further Beyond here at Falmouth, and just really enjoyed talking to her um, about film yeah. and yeah, kind of filmmaking. I think they're really interesting people talking about their filmmaking and kind of filmmaking in general. Um, and they're just filmmakers that have carved out this really unique body of work um, in British cinema um, and kind of, you know, um, I, I shouldn't say British cinema because they're Irish filmmakers and a lot of their work is Irish. But I mean, in terms of, you know, local um, local filmmaker to these, to these islands, um, it's a really... Yeah, every every film since Helen has kind of just yeah been been something that's felt very different. It's felt like an evolution. It's felt like they're really kind of pushing what they were doing, but 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 still, it felt like a film like only they could make, you know. And you don't really see them get talked about. And I think because mm-hmm. their films are very difficult, and I don't mean that as a as a criticism. I think that they they take very particular perspectives and stances formally and with their sub subject matter and how they deal with subject matter um that 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 means they're not necessarily the most accessible works um but i think they're they're some of the best filmmakers working you know um in in britain and europe at the moment so that was that was it really and yeah kind of another reason was seeing rose plays julie play lff and do some festivals and get some really good reviews and obviously and and you know, I think we maybe mentioned it on the podcast when we did the LFF episode, you know, and you sort of said how great, yeah, I think we did, how yeah. great you thought it was, and then obviously with the the pandemic, they they lost that 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 momentum, you know, and then seeing it, seeing that the film was coming yeah. back out, it was like, oh, great! It, like you say, just so so good that people like you know venues exhibitors and and distributors have stuck with it and waited to get it in a in a cinema because. Um, it's a really mm. it's a really fascinating film i absolutely loved it and 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 they're just so nice to talk to about film you know it's just, it's such a really i think it was a really it was a really enjoyable, enjoyable conversation and i think i think it's a it's a really good one to kick the year off with it's filmmakers that deserve more exposure um and filmmakers that like to talk about film in the way that we like to talk about film yeah some some podcasts wait two years for bond and we wait two years for rose plays julie that's the way that we roll exactly <laughs> um, which, which side i'd be on <laughs> exactly you know for sure um but yeah, it's interesting you, you, you mentioned the sort of difficulty of some of their earlier work. And like something like Further Beyond is right up my street just because of the way it, it actually, in the form, it, it, it kind of uh, makes comments on the idea of recording voices and all of this kind of stuff. And I just loved all of, all of that and presentation of, of self. And there's a little bit of that in the film, isn't there? That, that kind of idea of identity as a sort of construction or self-construction in, in various ways. But um, yeah, yeah, let's... Let, Let's 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 get into that, and we can have a chat about it afterwards. So this is Neil talking to Christine Malloy and Joe Lawler. Can I ask you something? Yeah. Have you seen him? No. Yes, I have. From a distance, a couple of times. I see. Doesn't it bother you? He's out there, acting as if nothing happened. See, that's how it looked to me. 
And I am struggling, really struggling with how that makes me feel. Great that we could do this. Thanks for, thanks for agreeing to do it. Um, this will be the first step of the new season, so we're really excited about that. Brilliant, fab. Uh, well, we're really happy to do it, Neil. Thank you. Um, I made the mistake, I think, of watching the film this morning. Mm. Um, and what I mean by that is, like, it's it's such an overwhelming piece of work. I found it really, yeah, I found it really overwhelming. I think it's a beautiful film. Um, and yeah, so I'm going to try and ask some questions, um, but it might be a bit garbled because I'm still kind of processing it. Um, okay. uh, so yeah, it, it feels it feels bigger in terms of the scope of the story than your than your previous work. It feels like kind of embracing a almost a literary kind of level of story in terms of the. The, the kind of the, the scope of the themes. And I thought it was really beautifully set up by that opening scene um, with the voiceover and the lighthouse, which kind of almost placed it in a kind of literary tradition of kind of classic storytelling. Is that something that you were you wanted to kind of explore? Not that the, there's not big themes, or, but, but it certainly felt like you were kind of pushing towards something much grander in terms of the emotional scope of the film. Is that something you were conscious of? Well. I mean, if I I could jump in, Christine. Um, I suppose w what I put that down to, I don't know if it's true or not or, or accurate. I put that down to the writing process, uh, first and foremost, that I think we're getting uh, better as writers, uh, both in, a, in, a, in an aesthetic sense, but mainly in a technical sense. Um, I think we both see, as has been commented upon, it's not our quote, but I, I agree with the, the person who said it, although I can't remember who said it, is that it's screenwriting is really much more of an architectural form rather than a literary form. So I suppose I would, you know, um, in terms of your evocation of the word, the, the use of the word literary, but in a sense, we, we're embracing the architecture uh, or the architecture form with greater uh, rigor an investment and we're spending much longer. I mean, that, that's even more true of the cur current couple of scripts we've been working on in lockdown. Um, and, you know, so we're hoping one of them at least is our next film and it's infinitely more detailed than Rose Plays Julie would have been. And that's partly to do with, 
as I say, we're becoming better at writer, writing and we're, and we're investing more in character work, uh, whereas we may not have done that in Helen, for example. Uh, it was it was very loose in its architecture. Well, it was tight in its architecture, but it was loose in its character work. Uh, now we're becoming much more intricate in, in the building. So the buildings are more, you know, uh, rather than it being flat pack, it was. It's more becoming more Mies van der Rohe. I'm really <laughs> running the. Mo- I'm losing it now, <laughs> and it may end up being Gaudi by the end of the decade. <laughs> so, in, in a way, um, I think that's what it's really about. And there is a real correlation between what's on the page and you being really beholden to it when it comes to the day of shooting. I mean, so much so that once the crew starts getting around and somebody goes over and they go, well, what time do you think that scene, like the script supervisor, what time do you think that scene, scene 58, starts at? And we're going, I don't fucking know. I mean, what do you mean? 4.30? I haven't a clue. And never thought about a day, because that's what script writing is, you know, exterior, da-da-da, day. But they want to pin it down, which is, which is fine, but you just have to have an attitude about it. But that thing that you may have thought about becomes really factual by the time it gets to the end of the conveyor belt. And so it, it, it'll get more fully realized. And all the little shots that go in between the shots go because you realize this actually is a 25 day shoot, as our first AD said. And you've only you can only afford 22 days. So you've got three days you can't use. And so we had to go back to the script in the. Uh, the pre-shooting uh, stage, that kind of uh, development stage of production and lose 30 scenes or 27 scenes, uh, which is fine. I can't remember what those scenes are now. Maybe they weren't required, but that's the extra detail you can't have on a, on a, on a lower budget. So I think so much of it's to do with um, actors who, were, who had more character work to do and a, and, a, and a more intricate script. I, I hesitate to say a better script than Helen or Mr. John, but let's say a better script. Um, and Baltimore, we think, uh, you know, it, hopefully we keep progressing. And so I can see what you're saying in terms of the intricacy or the scale or uh, the moving parts are more, you know, in, interlocked. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think it's because we spent longer uh, writing. I'd like to add to that, if you don't mind. Um, So in making Rose Plays Julie, we went back to Helen. And in Helen, there's a voiceover element. And our character, the main character, Helen, it's it's a little bit tricky to access her thoughts or to, she's quite inscrutable on the screen. And um, we, the voiceover elements came in during the post-production period in the edit, when we felt strongly that the audience are going to have to access her thoughts in some way. Um, and, and that became a, a real big, important part of how the film is expressed. But as I said, it wasn't there in the script. I mean, Joe's talking about the script. The script for Helen was like, I don't know, 30 pages long, and it was descriptive. There's barely any dialogue in it because we wrote the script at the last minute just before we went into production. So which is not the way you go about it. You, you, you start with the script normally, whereas we ended with the script and it was all kind of, you know, a rush at the very end of the process. But we went back to Helen when we were 
making Rose plays Judy. And one of the things that we tend not to do is put in backstory. But a film like Rose plays Judy, my audiences might want backstory. Um, they might want to know more about the history of the characters to understand Peter Doyle better, which I think can end up just pinning the character down in a way that we didn't want to. We wanted him to be quite archetypal rather than specific. But we knew from the very beginning of Rose Plays Judy that we wanted to retain the voiceover narration. We wanted at times to be able to dip inside Rose's head to know what she's thinking. Um, not many times, but peppered throughout the script, we had these um, voiceover elements, which you're right, does give it a literary quality because, you know, that's the stuff of literature. You have access to people's thoughts. And I know people have lots of attitudes and feelings about voiceover and film, but we love it as a device. But I certainly think in the kind of films that we make, and Rose Plays Judy is definitely one of them, it can be a really important tool. Um, and we, we wanted us and we thought that it would be very helpful for the character of Rose. So even we're not going to do the backstory, but we did little moments of narration, voiceover. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Like I, I never thought that it was a better script because I think that it, it, but it felt very different in terms of the script. But, but what kind of carries it through is your filmmaking, which is, you know, is quite singular. Um, and you know, that feels very much uh, kind of a, a, a progression from previous work. It's interesting you sort of saying about backstory there, because one of the things I noted was about the jobs that they do, you know, and I think that's really good screenwriting. You know, you give them these jobs where you have these interesting visual things, but the, 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 there's so much to gain or to kind of to think about in terms of backstory from what they do, what she chooses to do, you know, uh, as an actress, you know, the mother and, and the father as a kind of arch, as an archaeologist, you know, there's so much possibility for the audience to do some work. And it just, it feels so rich in terms of those choices. Um, yeah. And I wanted to sort of ask about, yeah, you sort of talk about the, that kind of script stage, because I think that there's so much that's thematically rich about the film. It's, it's a weird, I think it's quite rare, but I sort of sat there watching it, admiring it, thinking like this is so beautifully made, which is often a, not a compliment because you're kind of divorced from the emotion. But I was completely engrossed in the emotion as well. You know, I, I felt the filmmaking and I felt the, the, the way the story was being told, again, quite literary, but, but, but certainly cinematic in terms of your image, your, but also kind of really not knowing where it was going and not knowing how it was going to play out, you know, which I think sort of speaks to um, the, yeah, just the, the, the way you've put it together. Um, and I wondered about, you know, how you felt about the work kind of going into it, because obviously you've got kind of these, these new things in terms of the script, but, but thematically it feels very much connected. And I wondered, you know, if you, if, you, if you feel that there are themes in your work that you're kind of often, that you are, have become more aware of that you're drawn to and how that kind of impacts the way you approach a project. You know, are, are you trying to, giving in to the things that you keep coming back to or are you, are you trying to kind of consciously play around with them in, in different ways? Um, well, there's definitely, I'll, I'll jump in for so there's definitely recurring themes and, um, you know, recurring theme for us is this idea that identity is not fixed, it's constantly changing and it can change in small ways. For example, myself and Joe left Ireland and came to live in the UK 
something about how we saw ourselves in the world, even how we speak, because, you know, sometimes I think, is that an Irish saying or is it, have I just forgotten? Or our accents have changed when we go home, we do get quite slagged off. And sometimes I can actually hear things that I say that sound very English. Um, so, you know, they're small things and then there can be very big changes in somebody's identity. And so, for example, with the character of Rose, there's the um, learning that she's adopted. Well, that's a, a huge shift. And we, we look for stories, we're drawn to narratives where those kind of changes um, happen in a, in a person's life. A, a big shift, a rug, rug being pulled from under their feet. I mean, Joe has described before how his own mother's story of this informal Irish adoption that involved her being transported from America to Ireland unaccompanied when she's only 11 months old um, is a well that we go back into again and again. Um, and I think that is absolutely true. Those kind of rich narratives that ask us question, ask, invite us to question how we understand ourselves in the world and how we place ourselves in the world. In Helen, there was a young woman who was brought up in the care system and she accesses her files when she's 18 and learns an important thing about herself or has a question answered, which is the question about whether she was loved or not or wanted. Um, and it enables her to move forward. And in Rose Plays Judy, it's, it's a more extreme narrative for the character because she was given up for adoption. And in discovering that, um, she has this real conflict in her mind between the character herself, Rose, and then Judy, the name on her birth certificate, who she might have been if she wasn't adopted. And she wants to reconcile these two parts of her life so that she can move forward. And to, to find, I guess there are devices or strategies like that that allow us to have a character who's on that kind of a quest is, is something that we've always been drawn to. And we do go back to and try approach it in different ways. So um, also the role of performing, role playing, acting is something that recur recurs in our work. It certainly was there in Helen. And in Rosefay's Judy, it's odd because she was playing herself, a different version of herself. And it's a version of herself that she has held in her mind as this other version of who she might have been um, where she might have grown up what her hair might have been like you know her accent all of those kind of um, unresolved questions but of course she's drawn into a world that she didn't expect to be drawn into um, and I, I guess adoption and people's experience of adoption is very different from one person to another this isn't an adoption story we're not trying to say that this is what adoption is like, we've tried to imagine our particular character Rose and her experience. Interesting. Yeah. Just to kind of add, add, tag on a little bit towards the end of that, I suppose you could look upon those characters. I mean, it's not like we're trying to draw thrillers, but it's inescapable, but they, they brush up close to that genre, um, but we don't have a detective. And yet we want a character who gets around and so I guess in both of those cases, and even in Mr. John, there is an element at which these people are free-floating agents that can move through 
uh, other people's lives in the way that it, you know, in the big sleep, you know, Bogart can kind of move through other people's lives and homes and domestic settings and so forth. And that we like. Um, and so it's not surprising in a sense that if you set someone that's more invested in it, so it's not like Bogart has not, you know, he's, he's not psychologically invested. You know, he's been paid his $25 a day plus expenses. Uh, whereas Rose or Helen or Peter is very psychologically invested in this journey. And yet there's something of the uncovering about this aspect which brushes up and hence we're not surprised when people talk about those thriller aspects, which is fine by us. I mean, we're very conscious of them. Um, but I think we like some characters who are much more psychologically invested or, or impacted upon by the journey. Mm. Interesting, you sort of mentioned there about the 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 noirs, you know, because I think that often watching your films, there is certainly a kind of noirish element to them in their construction, but also in their tone and that kind of amazing sense of unease that you can build into mm. to your work where you literally are kind of watching people do very pedestrian mundane activities in the main but but you you can feel the sense of, of kind of, of dread building and i wondered this film is it's kind of feels noirish but there's also a strong element of kind of horror convention that is you know sort of used really beautifully throughout um some of it feels like bergman you know that kind of really interest particularly the compositions of, of watching people wrestle with these kind of fundamental human emotions and i wondered when when does that come in in terms of like you say you're happy to kind of brush up against those thriller conventions when do the cinematic conventions kind of come in for you is it is it at the script stage or is it before that or is it something that you know just just informs everything you kind of do i mean i i think it's it's really it's really in the act of filming more than anything else i mean you sort of you will invariably bring to bear a, a sensibility and you don't even have to analyze it too much it'll be how you want to set up a shot and how you want the shot to move and you might not even obsess overly about the performance of it i.e as long as you're talking to the actors and you have a, and they clearly understand the vision if they're good actors or good performers and we've worked with people who are not actors professional actors but they're just good performers as most people are if you allow them to be um you so, sort of by, you know, instinctively uh, through all the history of all the films we've seen, all the theatre pieces that we've made, you sort of will come to bear in this moment in time, there'll be a scene in Rose Place Julie, and this is how we're going to approach it. Now, you may find yourself getting into one or two moments in the first day or two with a, having a nice heated debate with the DOP about how to shoot the scene, but I, we always feel we're best placed to know how to shoot it. Um, we're not looking for coverage. We're not. We're trying to be more uh, singular in our statement about the scene itself. We don't have time to do coverage uh, in any way. And I know that DOPs want to do coverage, so the editors have options on the edit uh, the edit suite. And uh, we'll say, yeah, but we are the fucking editors. <laughs> and so then we'll have a bet. You know, do, do you bet this uh, shot? He says, I guarantee you, we've had this multiple times, this shot will be required. It'll be required for the edit. Do you want to bet? Uh, and so uh, we bet you 20 quid this shot won't end up in the film. Even if we need it, we'll do it because we need, we'll want the 20 quid. But we're not looking for that kind of level of continuity. We don't want anything now as extreme as Helen. That really does test audiences, actually. 
Um, but we're not looking for that kind of level of continuity and we want the courage to not have options in the edit. We just want the one choice that we uh, are making. Now, why is that? I don't know. Uh, why do we approach things in this particular way? Haven't a fucking clue. I, I can remember um, a moment when we were shooting Roseface Judy when we had a fast camera move because Rose comes into the hotel and goes up the escalator because she's going to the hotel to meet her mother after her big showdown with Peter Doyle, her biological father. And our DOP at the time, well, Tom, who Tom Comfort, who did a brilliant job in our film, but, you know, he turned around to myself and Joe and says, now we're making a movie because we had this great, fast, you know, <laughs> bit of action, and which I thought was, was great because actually it was a release for all of us. But I think that often the tension in thrillers is about fastness and speed and pace. And it's about a lot of cussing and you build the tension up that way. We try to build the tension up in a more minimal way. So I'd always said that we're interested in, in the internal workings of our characters' minds. So as they're, you're, you're kind of hanging out with them as they're trying to make decisions. They're, they can be sometimes inscrutable. Um, and somehow it can create its own tension. And we believe that we've explored this and we've tried to put it on screen and the films that we've made, that you create the tension in a different way. So, you know, people might think the film was slow and that's, you know, that for some tastes, maybe it is too slow. We think it's the speed that it needs to be in order for us to generate the tension in the way that we want to generate us. I also love myself personally, um, looking at people on the screen. And, um, you know, in that way, I like older films like Marlena Dietrich, so I can look at her all day. And, you know, uh, Joseph von Sternberg gives you the opportunity to fall into, you know, her screen presence. And so that's important to us as well to, uh, to try and we, you know, the, the characters, there's a mystery about them. We want to underscore that we know there's a kind of attention because you're not completely sure what their next move is. Um, and they're the, the, the qualities that we, we like. So that's what we intend to do when we go to shoot. And as Joe said, you might end up, um, you know, having a few discussions on sets because, you know, DOPs don't want to let you down. They also don't want to, you know, imagine there's an editor later further down the line thinking, my God, why didn't you do this? And there are shots that, you know, when we're in the edit suite, we wished we had, like some cutaways or details. But the whole thing is so frantic when you're filming, you know, because you've made a film yourself. It's our films. It's just a bit mad. So you hope you've gotten what you need, but you know you won't get everything but we, as Joe said, because we see the editing as part of a continuation of the writing process, there's certain things we're very, very clear about. And, you know, as the days go by when you're working on making, on choosing the film, everybody gets into the feel of that. And it certainly feels at the, particularly the start of the film, the sort of the first 15 minutes, like there's such a confidence I think that is, is, is evident in the filmmaking uh, and the editing and the kind of construction. You, like you say, it might not be for all audiences taste, but I think if you've come to the film, you feel like you're in good hands, you know, in a way that's really impressive. Um, you know that, you know that these decisions are being made for a reason, you know, it doesn't feel like you've missed anything. You know, I think that's, and I think that being the editors and sort of 
having the project in your mind from day one is 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 obviously really helpful to be able to to pull that off. Um, you mentioned there about looking at at people, um, and I think you know we should mention the casting because I think Anne Skelly's performance is just incredible. You know, like just absolutely magnetic. What a what a kind of fearless performance of yeah, kind of like like you say, just you feel like you've literally landed in this person's life at this very moment when she's kind of about to find out all this stuff and she carries it absolutely beautifully. Um, I just wondered, you know, I don't normally ask about the casting because um, it seems, oh, you know, but 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 I just, I'm, I'm really curious what it was like to, 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 to meet her having had the character of Rose uh, and Julie in your head for, you know, for so long and then, and then sort of see her, her kind of take it on. Well, I, I think, you know, we, we worked, uh, it was the first time we really worked with a casting director, actually. Uh, and they cast uh, fairly wide in Ireland. And so now with the advent of self-tapes, whereby people don't really get in a room anymore, unless it's in the very last stages. And so you've already done a lot, a lot of whittling down. Uh, and so people will sent the scene they record their scene in their living room bedroom whatever in a car and they'll send it off now you know it's they're they're but wonderful i mean some amazing talent coming up in ireland that hasn't always been the case of course um but in the last number of years certainly the last five to ten that you have acting schools in ireland now we used to never have that you know when we were going i mean you couldn't even really go to university uh, to study any of this stuff, whereas you can now. Um, so I think that's very encouraging. And so you'll, we may have looked at, I don't know, 30, 35 uh, young women in that profile, but that gets very quickly um, cut down. And we are always in, uh, trying to stress to actors or young actors actually in particular, exclusively that it really isn't about you. I, you've done a great job, but there's a certain kind of quality that you're looking for. And there's a big difference between somebody being 21, 22, and being 28, 29, where, and you're looking for a kind of a, a quality in somebody who is both young and volatile, and yet who has an edge and a, a kind of a, a menace to them, but they must have a certain kind of uh, fragility to that as well, like an, an innocence to it very hard to do, very hard to, to get. In some respects, you might say it must be in the nature of that person uh, existentially. That's probably not a great comment to make. It's, it sounds like you're then ignoring the, the craft of acting. But if somebody's 30, it's very hard to have that quality that they have had when they were 20. So things, age gives people more experience and certain qualities go. Um, and Anne, when we saw her in the self-tape with about six other people, were all sort of very closely in that, had those dual qualities, which uh, are diametrically opposed to each other. But there was something about Anne who just had that, but they were pushed to more extremes. She was more menacing and more uh, naive in, in, in those measures. But you didn't really see that until we filmed her in the audition. You can kind of pick up on certain qualities in the, in the conversation, um, 
But it's really when the camera's turned on and you ask and to do a, a, another scene that that became more self-evident to us. And then we felt it, it's so clear to us that whatever qualities we're looking for, they're the qualities. And that decision became quite simple in the, in the end mm-hmm. uh, for us. And she was she completely delivered as far as we were concerned. Mm-hmm. She was great. Great to work yeah. with as well. Yeah. And yeah, so meeting Anne was really important and filming her ourselves rather than relying on the self-tape. But there's still the first day that she turns up on set and, you know, she's going to be in, you know, she's going to be there almost every day and she's in, you know, nearly all of the scenes, so few that she isn't in. And so much is dependent on, on her. Um, so it's a huge weight for her to carry and she's young. Um, so she was 20 at the time. I think she's 20 when we, you know, filmed. Um, so, you know, you're kind of apprehensive and well, we, we certainly were, but and the very first day we did with Anne was the day in the museum, which included that scene between her and her biological father when they, you know, when she asked them the, the interesting question, the interesting unexpected question. And, you know, to get through that day and to um, just see how Anne was thinking her way through us and all the preparation she'd done and what she brought to the table was such a relief because you just felt, okay, she's, you know, she's, she has a under wraps. She's, she's going to do a brilliant job for us. So, you know, it really does take that first day on camera for you to finally relax because, you know, you need it to work. And I think she did brilliantly. That seems oh, to you- be- Cool. Oh, there's a thing about a message. Okay, the Zoom yeah, thing. I, th- I think sometimes, like, you know, I mean, actors, they work off a very different uh, set of information to we would. We would go in and approach a scene in a particular way, particularly in your filming. You've got other concerns. But actors work off very, very particular things, hooks for them. And they'll ask very, very particular questions that no one else will be asking. And they navigate it through their own way based on their own skills and training. And that's interesting to just let the actor do their work and kind of get out of the way. Mm-hmm. You just need to frame the scene and what's required. But in essence, unless they get it wrong, i.e. they're way off script, meaning you haven't done your job, and they're smart, which they are, they'll let them do their work. There was one moment when Orla and Dan did a scene when... Ellen, the mother, visits the daughter for the first time in her college dorm and they sit down and she says, you know, have you seen him? You know, he's out there walking around. How does that make you feel? They did do that scene the very first time and it was, we were halfway through the shoot and the two of them just wanted, we did it in this very jocular, playful way (laughs) and and, and very warm. And we kind of let that scene run just so it would be good for line call. But we went in, we're going, yeah, that was, that was all, that was very sweet. What the, what the fuck? You know what I mean? You're not going to be talking to each other like that. That's just like, you know, ch- chatty, you know, Dublin women. Like, forget <laughs> about it. We, no one talk, you know, you're, be, you're way beyond that. And they said, I know, but it was just so nice to play the scene like that. You know, <laughs> so you could kind of have some warmth and said, no warmth. Mm. And uh, you're, you're like, you're both playing chess and you both know that each move is dangerous mm. so you're you're cautious and you're going to be really careful 
because if you say the wrong thing, this could this could end up really, really bad. Yeah. And yet there's you both want something from each other that that is, you know, you're also desperate. So it's 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 dangerous. It's wonderful, it's but it's also dangerous. But it is very funny to watch two actors and you thought, oh my God, if if they played it all that way, that would be a very different film. Uh, maybe we could do a rom-com after all. Um, so, but it was a funny little moment of pe- opening up the lid of a box where you kind of thought, oh my God, there lies a very different kind of film. But anyway, it just showed the, the, the skill that they both had. But, you know, I think that we got it back on track very clearly. So you get into the, the tonally is the thing you're, you're hoping to be consistent throughout the film that you get actors who can understand what's required tonally from the film because when you're filming you you're not always on that you know what i mean you're you're sort of hoping you are but it's gone by as you know at such a breakneck speed you could screw it up yeah. you know and then you get in you look at the scene going we didn't really get the tone of that right and that's not a nice moment but anyway they were they're fantastic including aiden well yeah it's interesting i think you know because you've got a mix there haven't you of people that have you've not worked with before you've got people that haven't really worked very much before uh, and certainly probably not on this kind of, of of film and then you've got someone like Aidan who you've worked with so much you know mm-hmm. um do you feel yourself getting better as filmmakers in terms of those kind of mixes of of performers and that kind of situation you seem very relaxed about it in a way that I imagine you you might not have been early on where you know like you're, you're happy to let them experiment you're kind of more trusting and that kind of thing I think we've always been like that, even on Helen. The important thing for us and something that lays the ground um, is the conversations we have with actors. We rehearse less, we talk more. Um, So there was a moment when we were doing ADR on Rose Place Judy and Anne had been for a chemistry day for a new TV series that she was doing. So with, you know, the other main actor, they had this chemistry day. I thought, wow, that's interesting. So they're going to hang out for the whole day to see, do, do the two of them get on? Is this going to actually work? Do they get on on screen and did they get on off screen? Because they're going to go through this journey together. And I guess we have our own versions of chemistry days where we talk to people. So I'd never met Orla before, um, Orla Brady. Order Brady was suggested by our casting director and Aidan knew her and he was already on board and I think had worked with Orla a long time ago and you know he thought she'd be a great choice as well so she'd come up in conversation with Aidan um, but we didn't know her and then you get into really tricky things as an actor at a certain level in their career you can't just not offer them the part you can't really audition them so that whole kind of, you know, weird negotiations that have to go on. But we also felt we can't give all of the part if we never talk to her. We have to talk to her. We're not looking to audition her, but we have to talk to her. She's read the script. We want to know what she thinks. We want to know how the three of us are going to get on. And of course, you know, five minutes into the conversation, it's like this is a no brainer. She's exactly who we want and we're going to be able to work with her really, really well. Um, we do have that ongoing relationship with Aiden, um, as you've mentioned, because we've worked with them before. So that's easy as well, an easy decision for us to make. Um, it's just whether Aiden wants to do the part, whether he wants to go into that kind of dark 
territory because you know he he gets to be the baddie quite a lot but you know does he want to go there as an actor and again he read the script and he was keen to be on board so and then with um and again it's meeting her it's the time we spent talking to Anne that convinced us that she was also the right person. So that's our kind of chemistry thing. And then if you get that right, and if you feel that we understand or we're thinking about the script in a particular way, that they're t- thinking about the script in a particular way, and you um, you can just trust them and let them get on with this. But as Joe said, we're the ones who s- step back and see what that kind of tone is. And we've learned the hard way in the past um, that if you get that wrong, you really do have problems in the edit. So it, it has to be right. You've got to have a view on that. Um, and then after that, you, you let them get on with us. Yeah, I think it depends on you as a human being as well. So much of this has to do with your own psychology, your own uh, development as a person, what age you are. It'd be very hard to do something like that, you know, for a debut feature uh, and you're in your mid-20s. These are difficult things to do and when you're a bit older you can you bring a lot more uh, to the table in terms of uh, as a human being uh, uh, across uh, the spectrum I mean I do know there are people that we know who've directed and they've worked with actors who are uh, brilliant but maybe they weren't in a good place and they were very difficult to work with at that moment in time and that would be dreadful that if you're trying to get through a very very pressurized day and somebody's not in a good place and it leads to a lot of tensions. We, we would hate that because normally if people, um, we don't work with people or if we're not getting along with people, we tend to uh, shoot them. And we would, we would not want to do that to an actor. That's just really important. That message gets out there for the future. Last resort, that's what you say. Last resort. <laughs> we wouldn't do it by choice, but if it had to be done. But that would be an awful situation for everyone concerned. And it does happen from time to time. And so the, the chemistry a day because it's such a hard job anyway uh, the chemistry thing is really important that everyone wants to be there and is glad to be there that and that and that goes for the crew that goes for everyone being happy to do the job because uh, it, it can make it can make it a lot more pleasant um, and a lot more bearable if that's the case yeah, it's really nice to hear you sort of talk about it in that way you know and that it's it's kind of fundamental to how you make films you know because i think it's still you know quite rare to have that kind of thoughtful approach to those relationships you know um so yeah that's really that's really nice i wanted to end by talking about timing um kind of inevitably um one of the films that it made me think about was uh, julie ducano's raw um well because of the vet thing um obviously but also though that kind of yeah using the the horror end of that job to mm. um kind of you know investigate other things uh, and I thought it's weird and I remember talking to you Christine when you came down to Falmouth we, we showed further beyond that you seem to make these films which tap into things that are going on in these really interesting kind of cinematic places you know because further beyond felt aligned with things like Zama and um, mm. Huaha and things like that so I just I just wondered you know what was it like kind of making a film and seeing another kind of vet vet thriller kind of coming out um, and then yeah. the other one was about yeah kind of the talking about the film now so long after it was made and kind of finally seeing it coming out in cinemas uh, which is so exciting but obviously it must have been a kind of a fraught period of 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 making this work taking it to festivals and then really not knowing Mm. whether it was going to come out in this way 
Uh, there's always those moments along the way. I mean, for Roseface Judy, there was also the Me Too mm-hmm. um, happening at the time when we were developing our film. And yes, um, the, the film Raw, we thought, oh my God, it's set, set in a veterinary school. But at that time, now, our character in our development period was a zoologist. So we didn't have the veterinary thing that happened a little bit later and it wasn't in response to raw it was in response to the requirements of our script so you know i i can look at things i mean i was probably more freaked out by um robert green's film kate plays christine what i'm a film called kate plays christine you're kidding me so at that moment i thought okay we've got to bloody well come up with another title for the film and then everybody would say well they just robbed the title from you know that film and you just have to ignore it all and not get pulled. I mean, it would have been easy for us to be pulled by me too, because, you know, well, now we need to make the biological father figure a film producer. You know, it's, it's really easy to, to respond. And I imagine it could be attempting to be, you know, for the whole thing to be skewed and pulled in a different direction, just because you're reacting to things going on around you. It's best to, ignored as much as possible and to just focus on your own work and your vision but at the same time you know not ignore it completely like we would be very mindful of the me too question and one of the things we always thought about um roseface judy is that our character is like a walking talking crime scene she's the product she's conceived out of rape a violent act and um, near around the time when we completed the film, can't remember exactly whether we'd finished it or not. You know, there was a case that came up in the British media about a, a woman, a middle-aged woman, who was trying to bring her biological fo- father to court, um, a- accusing him of a crime against her because she was rape-conceived. And at the time, it was, um, you know, the... the um, outcome was that she couldn't bring him to court it had to be the the victim of the rape her mother her biological mother and the biological mother didn't want to face trial and all that that would involve so I thought that was the end of that case but that kind of shocked me and really interested me as we were making the film and but only a few weeks ago we read in the Guardian that that case actually did end up in court and the biological father was successfully um, committed of the, the rape and is now serving 14 years, 11 years in prison, and he's 74. And more came out about the details of that particular case. And, you know, so there's always things going on that brush up against what you're doing. Certain things are perennial and, you know, there'll always be films with veterinary students and it's seductive and there'll, you know, there'll always be films that, that explore the kind of themes that are in our film. But you just stick to as much as possible your own vision and your own take in us. I think there's yeah. one of the two vet films. I think you're OK. <laughs> <laughs> I, and I, yeah, it's, it's really more about the expression rather than the actual content of the story, because in a sense, Yes, there will be a limited, a finite number of actual stories. They will be varied from one to the other, but you will never, ever have two films alike. 
And so there's never a danger of that. It's it's never worry. Having said that, in pure marketing terms, people do say, you know, oh, we're inundated with, you know, lesbian dramas or there's too many films about Iraq or whatever it might be. And so that, but I always find, well, yeah, but by the time you get behind the film, it could be four years down the line. And, you know, because these have a very long gestation period or shelf life. Um, but you're, you're given a response about what film is going to happen tonight. And that's not going to be the case. But there are kind of algorithms, which I find always nonsense anyway. But um, yeah, I, it's, it's what you're really watching is somebody's expression, how they do it, not what, what it is. What it is is important. It's not irrelevant and, or not germane to the experience. Uh, it's very pertinent to it. But really what you're watching is how something's done. And I think on that score as well, it's a really, it feels like a really positive Me Too film, you know, like the films that should be coming out of that period are kind of, you know, deep examinations of, you know, female trauma, um, relationship, you know, like giving giving the kind of the requisite complexity and respect to the emotional heft of those those kind of acts, which your film does, you know, in such a powerful way. So... You know, th those are the films that kind of you want to see coming out of these these moments. Is is not, not kind of these very quick tick box con mm. condemnations, but but kind of real explorations in in such a kind of cinematic way. It's yeah, it feels like a the right response cinematically. Yeah. Sure. Well, you can't predict it, and we were working on our film anyway before Me Too because our first meeting for Rosefest Judy happened in July 2013, but I'm really happy to be part of that canon and, um, and for it to accidentally become kind of timely. Although have we moved past Me Too? That's the kind of thing that depresses me. Like, have we done Me Too so we can all move on? It's, um, you know, they're the things that are a bit depressing. So if our film is now coming out in 20. 21 as opposed to 2020 when it was meant to may 2020 and it's another reminder that actually we're not way past me too we're still have loads of things to address and to deal with in society well then i'm happy about that and it's a film as well about kind of just pushing you know you can't push down the uh the, the, that, that kind of darkness you know it's gonna yeah. it's gonna resurface so yeah well i'm uh, I, for one, am glad that the film is out finally and that people get a chance to see it on the big screen because it's a beautifully cinematic piece of work. Um, and, yeah, as I, you know, I've long been a fan of your work, but this feels like a real a real step forward in, in kind of really exciting ways. Um, and I can't wait to see what you do next. So thank you so much for talking to me today. Brilliant, Neil. Thank pleasure. you so much, Neil. Appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you to Christine and Joe for taking time out to, to talk to me, particularly because um, I'd just seen the film and I was kind of I'm still kind of overwhelmed by it. So I think they were very gracious with me kind of working through some of my ideas <laughs> in the chat. Um, but yeah, really, really enjoyed that conversation. And yeah, as I think it became clear, really, really love this film. So Dario, what did you make of, sort of revisiting it and, and hearing that chat? Yeah, I love the film. And 
I love the way it is using, as you mentioned in the interview, kind of genre of conventions, but never falling into being generic. And it's it's just so clever, particularly like, I mean, I don't think you talked about it too much in there, but the sound is so key, I think, to this to this film. I mean, if you took the sound out, it would almost be social realist in, in part, you know? It, it's But it's it's got that pulse, that pulsating beat and rhythm, so you're never allowed to be sort of slightly on tender hooks about what's going to happen. And then there's just kind of like, you know, they're not, they're not jump scares, but they're just really sort of shocking moments of violence. And, 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 and they're not just violence of, you know, quote, unquote, the evil character to the, to, to the, the women in, in, you know, and the violence is, is told to us in a, in a historical sense, but then it's also enacted obviously. And there's, you know, a very sort of disturbing scene towards the end, which is a sort of, Newmont, I suppose. Mind you, the, yeah, I mean, it is in a way. I don't want to give anything away, but but then there's the 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 character um, Rose's character when she witnesses a she's witnessing a violent act or potentially a violent act and acts in a certain way, and then there's the preparation for what she's going to do, and you know this sort of working as a trainee uh, veterinarian, you know, and that reminded me a little bit of. Um, on body and soul, you know those th- these scenes with the animals and stuff. It was really c- there's something sort of macabre about that the the iciness by which you you have to you have to kind of deal mm. with you know dissecting animals and these kind of things. You know, it's all, almost like films about uh, a, a, you know about uh, um, funerals or death and stuff like that. Some you know people who work in those industries have to be kind of very level and she's she plays it like that the the actress the actor who plays rose and skelly just just plays it so level and it becomes yeah it it, it sort of it becomes it moves from she moves from sort of vulnerable to like oh my god what is she gonna do here <laughs> you know what i mean like really scary without really doing anything and i think that's a testament to the the direction uh, i think um so there's loads that I really, I mean, I can t- talk more about, about some of the things in the interview, but yeah, yeah, you, you, you go, you come in there, Neil. Yeah, no, just, yeah, just nice to sort of hear some of those things. And I think On Body and Soul is a great shout as well. You know, that's a, that's a really, um, and yeah, as I was sort of trying to get across in the conversation, I think that there's this, and you sort of alluded to it there in terms of Anne Skelly's performance, like there are certain performances where they're so controlled and, you know, but but also in part kind of inscrutable and, and you're, you're really unsure that you have to look elsewhere for for clues and meaning and stuff like that. And that's why I think the filmmaking is so rich in terms of, yeah, those kind of genre atmospherics that are just everywhere in the film. You know, you're never really sure how to feel. She doesn't give you an easy an easy kind of answer of how she's feeling and what she's going to do and how she's how she's going to go about it. And so you're kind of looking elsewhere and the sound is a great, is a great, you know, the, the score, um, and just the, yeah, all these kind of, all these symbols that are presented, but you're never sure whether it's, you know, how to feel about them, you know, um, and I think it's, it's, it's not an easy case of like, oh, you know, the fact that she's training to be a vet means this because there's so much of that part of the story that is, yeah. is kind of contradictory or still enigmatic and kind of difficult to to pin down. Um, yeah, I just. I think it's a, yeah, it it's a really exciting film. I think as a you know as a 
as a, as a film lover, you know, and as someone who's kind of followed their career to, to, to sort of see them again, just, just be able to, to kind of to take everything they've done before and bring it with them in this film, but then also do something new, which is really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. How in the, in the interview, they were very sort of self depreciative in, I mean, that's probably not the right word, but that, that idea of their learning their, their craft in progress you know what I mean? It's, it's so nice to hear filmmakers sort of say, you know, well, we're kind of, we, we, we learned this on this project and now we're, we were learning this as we went along and, and sort of talking about the, the architecture of the writing and how, how that sort of uh, was built in maybe slightly in reverse in, in some ways. And I always love, you know, a defensive voiceover. You know, because voiceover is always much a lot much maligned. I think when it's used well, it's it's, it's hard to do good. well, isn't it? And, That's and the again, thing. yeah, it is. Yeah, and also again, defense of slowness. I, I think it should be banned. You, people, people, especially on film Twitter, shouldn't be allowed to say slow in a derogatory sense. It's exactly the pace it needs to be. Mm. You know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's interesting. It's, I think that's fantastic. Yeah. And, and, no, go ahead. Go no, ahead. I was going to say I think that you're right. I think, but and I think that self-deprecation means that the film is has a confidence that never tips over into an arrogance. You know, which I think is why it's so enjoyable as an aesthetic experience. You know, because they are they're not complacent. You know, they like say they're kind of curious and interested, but they're not. They're not. They don't. They're not kind of just like oh, I can do this, and this is you know, kind of let's throw all this stuff in there. Let's throw the sound and the score and the performances and this bit of jello. You know, the jello sinkhole and the, you know, the, it's like no. There's there's a there's a real thought and a desire to do something interesting with each, with each, with each kind of part of the film that kind of yeah is is rewarding. Mm. And what I really really like is that it's a film that you can take in and of itself. Without, there's no sort of overt allusions to, you know, uh, sexual politics or power or, or this kind of stuff in in a really overt way, and it's so completely um, completely the opposite of something like um, Promising Young Woman. I'm and I'm, I'm really interesting to read if anybody compares it to that. You know, particularly maybe female writers who are interested in sort of the genre of of rape revenge movies, which, you know, if you were going to place it, probably somebody will, will sort of say this essentially is what it is. And, but the fact that it is a real revenge, you know what I mean? (laughs) It's actually, you know, it, it, it probably goes there. Whereas, you know, for all uh, promising young woman's kind of, you know, flamboyance, it's, it, it it kind of doesn't really go where this film goes. Yeah. And it's interesting because it's it's a film that never lets you know um, what it's doing until it does it in that kind of in that way that feels very rooted in in realism, you know, in the realism of the situation of yeah. these two people who are brought together and then the past comes up and then the past has to be sort of dealt with in that moment. You know, you're you, you don't know how the revenge or who the revenge, you know, like it, 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 there's so many things going. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, rock, yeah. Yeah, how it's and it is surprising, out. you know, in a because of in a in, yeah. in a good way in terms of how how the film is, which which just gives it more, like yeah. you say, more resonance, and you know that that scene was the end. Of, yeah. And yeah, yeah, and no, I'm just saying. And it actually, thinking about it now, it does give both a visceral 
outcome, but also an intellectual outcome. So, you know, the, pe people are faced with what they've done and they have to think about it. But yet it doesn't fly away from it. And you're still going to get, <laughs> you know what I mean? You're still going to get it at the yeah, end, yeah. if you see what I mean. So, I, you know, sorry, maybe maybe we should put on the show notes. Yeah, I was going to say, when I do the intro, but, I think, uh, when I'll do the, yeah, when I record you know, the intro, I'll just mention that yeah. we kind of, but, but I think that's good, you know, and it's nice, isn't it? Because yeah. I think it's such, it's, it's a yeah. film that you do want to kind of get into the weeds with in that sense. Um, and I think that, yeah, intellectual yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Um, what did you say? Intellectual and visceral, I think is a really, it's a really good, way yeah. of, of kind of categorizing their filmmaking i think you know um and obviously the intellectuals sometimes seen as a as, as a bad thing um but i, I don't think it it, it mm. should be you know i think that there's always a smartness to yeah, yeah, yeah. to their ideas um but they also like making films you know <laughs> like they're, they're they're in the business of mm. of of kind of being moving and in, you know in, engaging and, and, and entertaining um in ways that I think that is quite rare. Um. Mm. And the other, just very quickly, the, the last thing I, I just wanted to say was the, the, I just thought it was so effective that, that, um, all Brady was, was an actor herself in the film. And it had, for me, it had this effect of her being, because she was, we, we see her on different sets and playing different roles. It's almost as like, she's this, eternal mother figure mm. through the ages interesting. Yeah, interesting. and you know rose sees her in in the mm. in the nurse's outfit and yeah in other she's a in police officer context, as well as she's a matriarch like, it allows That's really her interesting yeah yeah really yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely yeah, yeah and it allows rose to project all these different possibilities of what her mother who her mother is and it just it, it does sort of that reminded me of their previous work and that sense of construction of of self and and who we think we are and who we think other people are is, is really sort of down to perception. Yeah. And so much of that is left for the audience, you know, like I, 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 when I was watching yeah, it, exactly. I was thinking like in, in 99% of the other films, Rose would explain why she wants to go to veterinary school. He would explain why, why he wanted to be an archeologist. Yeah. He talk, talks about, you know, this kind of, and I think his, his job as well, this kind of time yeah. travel is, is really interesting. Um, and she would explain like why, she, why yeah. she wanted yeah. to become an actor so late after what happened. Like, but that all sits with the audience um, in such a beautiful way. That's just, yeah, it's just refreshing to be like, Oh, thank you. Thank yeah. you for, thank you for leaving it up to us to, yeah. Not explaining you know, shit to And me. just allowing us to feel, <laughs> yeah. feel those connections in the way that, that we put it together. But that's a really yeah. nice. I think that's a really, yeah, that's really interesting. Those, the characters that we see her playing on screen. And, and again, just the layers in this yeah, film yeah. are just, oh, it's so rich. Yeah. Yeah. So good. So good. So yeah, go and see it. It's out now. Um, and yeah, thanks to, thanks to um, Joe and Christine for, for taking the time to, to talk to us in the way that we like to do it, you know? Yeah. Really appreciate them kind of coming on board um, for a cinematologist chat. Um, yeah. I think it's, it's, it's definitely, definitely my favorite film this year. Uh, that I've seen so far, um, even though it's two years old. Um, but that's the way of things now. So um, worth the wait. Well, well worth the wait. Yeah. And just on, um, you know, the fact that this came out two years ago at the London Film Festival, we're going to be doing a pretty bumper London Film Festival this year. We've, we've both got accreditation, which was really nice for press screenings. I'm going to an all-day event next Tuesday. 
I'm going to do three films in one in one day. Um, nice. So I'm, I'm going to rush to do a load of my lecture prep <laughs> so I can have that day to go and do that. So that, that should be fun. So that's one episode to come. And Neil, you've got a um, really interesting episode on uh, magazines, haven't you? Yep, that's going to be the next one out, which uh, I've recorded all the interviews for that. They were recorded before the end of last season but we couldn't get it together and it's about yeah it's about independent magazines looking at um mostly film but but, but just generally kind of arts and, and sort of and culture magazines um from these people who are just doing amazing work independently um and uh, yeah got three three lovely interviews for that which i'm excited to get out and that'll be our our next step but uh for now we're going to head over to the the bonus i think aren't we yeah we are please come and join us on the bonus episode we're going to talk about jean-paul belmondo uh sadly but you know it wasn't a tragedy he was he'd had a good innings let's put it that way um passing away um yes yeah, so so please come and carry on the conversation there get in touch with us as usual on the, on all the social media channels at cinematologists uh, email us um at cinematologists at gmail.com and please check out the Patreon. We're continuing, obviously, with our bonus episodes and also the, the monthly newsletters. And uh, Neil's was a great read this last month. So, yeah, you can check Thank that out now much. for as, as little as, as £2 uh, a month. But we do have various uh, levels. And it would be great, you know, um, if if we could expand the audience more. And, and uh, you know, if you do like episodes, please tweet about them and contact us about them. It's always... It always helps us to expand and keep going when that that happens and you know itunes reviews podchaser reviews whenever anybody writes those we mention them and we talk about them and oh yeah very quickly neil just just before we forget thank you to gweno for signing up as a patreon that was very nice of her yeah thank you gweno really really appreciated um to see your name pop up thank you for your support and thanks everyone as well for your for your support indeed so that has been the first episode back of the cinematologist podcast Thanks for listening.